Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. Like always, I hope you had a great week. Before we get started, remember that Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Overcast, Amazon Music, Pandora, whatever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and follow. I always like to post updates on when the next episode is coming in. I like to post pictures of organisms. On the last episode, I went over Staphylococcus aureus, right? This is a very important organism. Like I mentioned, one of the most commonly encountered organisms in clinical microbiology. So it is a gram-positive cocci in clusters that is catalase-positive and coagulase-positive. Now, I'm going to talk more today about catalase and coagulase, but go ahead and listen to episode 6 of, the, of this podcast. You know, I, I talk about it. So go back, and if you haven't listened to the previous episode, go ahead and do so, because this is, this is going like in a series, so... Go ahead and listen to that, and then come back and listen to this one. That way it can all be fresh. It is a gram-positive coccyne clusters, catalase-positive, coagulase-positive. It is a facultative anaerobe. I talked about that this organism is typically a colonizer, and we sometimes carry it in our nares. I talked about three types of carriers associated with colonization. We have persistent, intermittent, and non-carriers. Like I mentioned, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, go ahead and go back and do so. I talked about what these types of carriers mean regarding this, you know, the strains of Staph aureus. So it's, it's good to go back and refresh. Infections with Staphylococcus aureus, they're typically acquired when the organism gains access to a sterile site. And this can be via, via trauma, such as an injury, surgery. I also talked about the different types of toxins and virulence factors. You know, you have protein A, you have alpha toxin, toxic shock syndrome, and scalded skin syndrome. So like I mentioned, this is a very serious organism. And I talked about how it can be transmitted from person to person and via fomites. So this makes it very serious in healthcare settings. This is why hand hygiene is very important. You know, Staphylococcus aureus causes nosocomial infections, which are hospital-acquired infections. If the organism is resistant to methicillin or oxacillin, which is a synthetic form of penicillin, the organism is called MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. With this kind of resistant resistance, it is considered resistant to beta-lactam agents, such as carbapenems, cephalosporins, and the exception is ceftalurine. Ceftalurine, which is uh, the brand name is Tefloro. Detecting MRSA is very important because the spread needs to be stopped and the patient needs to be treated. I mentioned in the previous episode that there are some ways uh, to screen for it via chromagra, you know, which when the organism grows on it, 
if it is MRSA, it will produce a specific color based on what the manufacturer has. Um, but on this episode, we're going to start working it up when you have it from your standard culture setup, meaning your blood, your chocolate, your Mac. You know, typically most cultures, like I mentioned before, they have like a wound culture or a respiratory culture. Your standard setup is blood, chocolate, and Mac. And sometimes, you know, you can have PEA. How do we identify in the lab? Well, we start with colony morphology. Staph aureus colonies are large and flat. They are also typically beta hemolytic and they mostly have a yellow pigment, which you can actually greatly appreciate on chocolate agar. So keep this in mind about the hemolysis, you know, because this is part of presumptively identifying it, which I will talk more about in a little bit. So we perform biochemicals. So we are screening our plates. You know, when our culture is set up, we looked at it 18 to 24 hours later. So we see these large flat colonies. So we do biochemicals. And I talked about catalyst coagulase and I mentioned episode six. So go ahead if you need to go review it, go and take a listen, have a listen. So catalase is typically used for gram positive cocci and rods. So what is catalase? It is an enzyme that catalyzes the release of water and oxygen from hydrogen peroxide. So how do we perform the test? Well, you add a drop of hydrogen peroxide, you place it on a slide, and then you add a colony and you apply the drop. There's also the where you can actually apply the colonies to the slide and then add the drop. A positive reaction is bubbles, right? As that oxygen is released, you're going to see bubbles. So that's a positive reaction. But keep in mind, and I mentioned this, but I really like to emphasize, especially with students and younger techs, brand new techs, a positive reaction is a quick and immediate reaction. And I'd like to mention this because Enterococcus fecalis can have what they call like a delayed, weak positive reaction, which is a negative. This means that you apply the colony and maybe a second or so after you see some tiny bubbles and this is negative. So this tends to throw students down the wrong way because they have this result. They think it's positive. So when they're working in a lab, having an exam of some kind, they start working it up as it's a staff and that is wrong. But like I mentioned before also, you have to keep in mind the colony morphology. So this is why I like to tell students that when you work in these organisms, take advantage of technology and take pictures. That way as you study, you remember. So even if you have an enterococcus and you have this reaction based on your pictures and what you've seen, you say, wait, I'm having a positive reaction, but this doesn't look like a staph. So you need to always keep in mind the colony morphology but just remember if it's if you get this weak reaction is considered a negative so this is very important for you students that if you're working on an unknown don't end up identifying it or presumptively identifying a staff because you get this catalyst positive reaction so it's a weak delay reaction which is considered a negative so a positive reaction is 
bubbles real quick and strong and then no bubbles is a negative reaction so this is a very typical you know always a gram stain gram positive though that's always very helpful but very typical workup you know catalase staph versus strep staph is positive strep is negative so then the next test will be a coagulase staph aureus produce, produces an enzyme coagulase which binds plasma fibrinogen causing the plasma to clot and there are some variations of coagulase there is the bound coagulase or clumping factor this is detected using a rapid slide test and there is also the free or tube coagulase but this takes four hours um, this is done when if a suspected staph aureus you know calling that you're suspecting it to be staph aureus it's negative for the bound coagulase test however i will say maybe here in the states or m most of the labs that i have worked at least we use a test that is much faster uh you know you get a very rapid result which is within a minute um you know 60 seconds so this is called the remel staff test this is a latex agglutination test recommended for the detection of clumping factor and protein a right you heard about protein a so it is used to distinguish staph aureus from other species of staph it is definitely a rapid test and i like to say it again just it means that you will get a result relatively quick in this case 60 seconds very easy test so what does it have what are the components well it has a latex this is your reagent it is a protein coated latex particles that are capable of detecting both clumping factor and protein a this is another very simple test you add a drop of the latex to the testing area then you pick two to five colonies from your plate and apply them to the dry area of the test circle so when i'm talking about if you text that work with it or maybe students in clinicals you might have seen it so the test card has six circles so you can test six different colonies six different organisms on one of the circles you will add the latex and then on, on a dry area using a wooden stick you will you know pick your two to five colonies and then start on the dry area and then start mixing them with your latex after this you can rotate it and this can be done via two methods you can rotate it using you know just holding it with your hands in a circular motion for 60 seconds you can also use a rotator if you need to you know this is also good with the strep um, agglutination test but the package insert says that do not set the speed higher than 125 rpms so do not set it higher than 125 rpms but you can use a mechanical rotator so after this you examine it after the 60 seconds and then if you see agglutination with the loss of the black of the black background this is considered a positive test if there is little to no agglutination with no loss of the black background then this is a negative so definitely when you have like on your staph aureus you know which which is positive when you rotate it you will see this nice clumping 
and then as the background being lost it means that so it's not murky anymore it becomes like clear so all you see is your clumping but if it's negative you might see sometimes you know little little clumps but then the background is still murky you know it hasn't cleared so that's what it means a positive versus a negative result positive clear background with clumping little to no agglutination you know um murky background it's considered a negative test just because it's positive doesn't mean that you're going to go ahead and say oh this is that forest you have to keep in mind that if it's beta hemolytic and you know the morphology it looks like it's beta hemolytic and this is, is positive for this test you can presumptively id it as staphorius meaning there is no need to do any other method of id like you don't need to put it on the vitek you don't need to do malditov you can call it staphorius if the hemolysis is weak if the organism is non-hemolytic and you get a positive result you need to put it on the Molotov, MS, any other method that your lab has to identify other than this. So you definitely have organisms that can cause false positive reactions, such as Staphylococcus schleiferi, Staphylococcus saprophyticus, Staphylococcus lugdunensis. They can cause false positive reactions. And other coagulase positive staph will be positive for this test which that's a conversation for another day. For now, let's talk about Staph aureus versus coagulase negative Staph. Like I said, if, it's, if you get a positive result, but weak hemolysis, no hemolysis, you need to perform another method of ID. The same is the opposite. Sometimes, you know, you can get, maybe the kit might not work properly. You, you can get a negative reaction. So in this case, you know that it's a Staph aureus. It looks like beautiful, large flat beta hemolytic yellowish colonies and you're looking at them and say you know it's staph aureus but you keep getting a negative test you need to go ahead and perform another method of id like vitek or molitov with presumptive identifications which are organisms that you can you don't need to do uh, uh, another method based on biochemicals and certain morphologies and characteristics, you can go ahead and call them. You, know, you can identify them like this, like Staph aureus, um, E. coli, lactose fermenter, indole positive, lactose fermenter flat. So if they meet the certain criteria, you can identify them just based on that. No need to do any other instrument type of identification. That's what a presumptive ID is. So anything that deviates from that, you need to perform an ID. But if the criteria is met, you can go ahead and call it Staph aureus. Now that we know how to perform the test, a good question that you might be thinking, it's, does it matter which media we use? I mean, you mentioned, Louis, that, that you have, that your standard setup when you're working in these benches, you know, it's a blood, blood plate, chocolate, McConkie, PEA, doesn't matter which one you use. Well, you know it's a gram-positive cocci, right? So it's not going to grow McConkie. However, out of the blood, chocolate, and PEA, doesn't matter which one you use. Well, the answer is yes. You need to, the package insert has a complete list of the media that you can use. 
but definitely among these is blood agar, which you tip, typically might see it, you know, with like triptychase soy agar with 5% sheep's blood. You can use uh, CNA agar. You can use mantle salt agar. I have seen like in my facilities, you know, we use PEA, but if you're gonna use another media, you need to perform a validation. You know, and that's another, you need to run an X amount of samples, make sure that you know compare them with your typical media and based on the results, you know, you're able to use another type of auger. So it will need to be uh, validated. Once we identify this organism, right, based on the seriousness of it, so significant, you know, nosocomial infections, you wanna make sure that patients that, if they're having surgery, they don't have it, they can get treated. So we wanna know if this is an MRSA, right? You tend to get these chromogenic augers that I will be talking about in the next episode where it produces that color. So this is very typical for the patients that are going on surgeries. You know, they get that screening. Typically this chrome agar is for nasal sources. So you wanna know if it's an MRSA. So, but like I mentioned before, with your catalyst and coagulus, right? You're working on the bench, you're getting it from a, from a regular culture, it's not a screening, it's just, you know, there's a, 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 an injury of some sort, there's a wound. So you're getting, you know, you're isolating it from your standard setup. So how do you know, how can you identify it as MRSA without putting it in one of these chromogenic agar plates? Well, you can definitely, once you do susceptibility, you know what it is. You know, it comes back resistant to oxygen. It is considered an MR, it is an MRSA. But before that, how can you identify it as MRSA outside of your PCR and your chromogenic agar? There is a test that we use for this, which is really good, and I'll be talking about it in a minute. We also want to know if the organism is MRSA. So, like in the case that we are referring a culture. So let me talk about this in clinical micro. Typically, if you know you have two cultures or more, two or more from, from the same patient, if they have the same organism, you can refer the susceptibility portion from one culture to another as long as they are the same source. And depending on the facility, if they are within like two or three days apart. So... Meaning, for example, you have a patient that has a, a right leg wound culture. Patient goes to the doctor on a Monday. They swab the area. And then the culture yields, you know, Staphylococcus aureus. You perform the susceptibilities and it comes back as an MRSA, methicillin-resistant Staphylococcus aureus. Then on Wednesday, of the same week, the patient has another culture from that same wound and it yields staph aureus. So do you need to perform susceptibilities again or not? Well, in order to not perform them, if it meets the criteria for referring the culture, you need to determine if this staph aureus is a MRSA because the first one was. Remember that we carry staph aureus in our skin and, and then, you know, doesn't cause any trouble until it gains access to a sterile site. 
So this test is very helpful for that because if we perform it and we determine that it's an MRSA, then we can go ahead and refer that susceptibility to the other one. So this test that I'm talking about is the Abbott Clearview PBP2ASA culture colony test. And I'm getting a little technical here. This is a qualitative in vitro immunochromatographic assay for the rapid detection of penicillin binding protein 2A. This protein confers resistance to methicillin. So this test is used on, it has a highly sensitive recombinant monoclonal antibody fragments that are used to detect this protein from bacterial isolates. It is a test strip that contains the monoclonal antibody fragments and a controlled protein. It comes with two reagents. You have reagent one and reagent two. And it also comes with an assay tube where you're gonna place your strip. You add two drops of reagent one to your tube. This reagent is blue in color. Then you add a heavy inoculum of your isolated colonies. And then you add two drops of reagent two. At this point, once you add the reagent two, it, uh, this, it turns clear, it changes from blue to clear. And the package insert states to clear, you know, briefly vortex it. Once you have done this, you insert the test strip in the tube and you wait five minutes. The strip has a test line and a control line. A negative result is a pink purple control line that appears on the top half of the strip. A positive result, it's a pink purple control line and a pink purple sample line that appears on the bottom half of the strip. So regardless of it's a negative or positive, you need that negative control line. And this is typical of this, of this type of test. Of test. Um, it always has a control line that it needs to be present for the test to be considered valid. So if you have both lines, the control line and the test line, then it is a positive result. Now, another question, because sometimes, you know, I have seen this. What about if it's like maybe like a faint line? Is this considered a positive, a negative? The answer is it's a positive. Any line intensity for the test line is considered a positive result. And like I mentioned, if a control line is not present, the test is considered invalid and the test needs to be repeated. So having a positive result, you can refer this culture, these cultures, as long as it's the same source. And now this can vary, you know, from facility to facility. Sometimes, you know, you can, if you have a culture from the left arm and the right arm, you can refer them like this. Um, this is very useful in blood cultures because with blood cultures, you typically collect, you know, two to three sets. So if they're all come positive for staph aureus, if you do susceptibilities on one, let's say that they collect two sets, and then two days later they collect two more sets, and all four are positive for staph aureus, then you can go ahead and you know do susceptibilities on one set, refer to the other, and then the next the two days after that, then you know the culture from two days after, you can perform this test, make sure that they are MRSA 
or staff warriors, because of course, if the original was negative and then the second one is negative, then you can refer them as well. So it is a very useful test. And sometimes, you know, some facilities you can proceed with the, you know, you detect your staff warriors, you perform susceptibilities, then the next day you report as MRSA. But sometimes other facilities, doctors want to know right away if it's a MRSA as soon as you have a staff warriors on any of your cultures. So it is definitely a very useful test. So not only it is useful for the detection of MRSA, but at the same time, like I mentioned, if the, the initial culture from that source was susceptible to oxycillin, and then that second culture is susceptible as well, you don't need to perform susceptibilities on that second culture. And this always is gonna vary with your facility. Catalase, coagulase, and then you can find out if it's MRSA before performing susceptibilities on it. As far as for this test, which media, which agar to use, uh, it's on the package insert, but um, blood agar is definitely it's one of them. Not PEA. You should, if you get it from PEA, you should sub it to a blood agar plate and then perform this test. So in addition, like I mentioned, you also have these chromogenic agar, which produce a specific color, which I will be talking about on the next episode. And that, my dear audience, it's the end of this episode. I hope you enjoy listening about catalase, coagulase, penicillin binding protein, and staph aureus. Like always, I enjoy talking about it to you. I cannot repeat this enough. Continue bringing that passion to what you do. This is such an amazing uh, job that we do. We help the patients so much. So it is important that we continue educating ourselves and bringing passion to it because it will make it so much better. Like always, stay motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro. Until the next time, bye.